My son did tell me that joke the other day because he had heard it somewhere else, and I've heard it on, I've heard it plenty of times since I was a little kid. Even where it's the what did the fish say when he swam into the wall? Damn! <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, but that's not the bad word. It's because it's a, it's because it's a damn. <laughs> okay, son. Yeah. He quickly realized his error, mm-hmm. so he starts to backtrack. I laughed. You're like, oh, I heard you pronounce the end, son. And I sent him to bed. It was 3 p.m. <laughs> no dinner. <laughs> Especially no fish. <laughs> like, it's a weird punishment, Dad. <laughs> it's like, we could be Catholic. I could punish you with fish. Every Friday during Lent. <laughs> all right, I'm going to go back and pick a different timeline where we're all a little funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to do another timeline? <laughs> this yeah, one kind of exactly. sucks. <laughs> really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Wrong timeline, son. <laughs> what is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and know-it-all. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Today we're joined by a special guest, good friend, Tim Nestor. What's up, Tim? Good morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can we right. try another timeline where Tim actually sounds excited <laughs> yeah. to be here? It is early. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> that was the wrong timeline. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, he's Paul, really, he's Paul brought me McDonald's, and so my energy <laughs> level <laughs> yeah. has just been absorbed into the into the sausage, into the fake yeah. food that I just consumed. Oh, it's so good, Tim. <laughs> you were feeling good. You were feeling good. Yeah. You ate the sandwich, and it just I mean, I was no, like a black heavy. hole of energy. I was singing the whole way here. I was I was good. Were you really singing? No. <laughs> <laughs> That was a nice thought. Don't don't call me out like that, Paul. That's not <laughs> kind. There, conceivably, there's a timeline where he was yes singing yes, and a timeline yeah like in a choose your own adventure exactly game yeah. an alternate reality mm-hmm. or a choose your own adventure TV show slash video game like Bandersnatch like Bandersnatch. Not just, sure where you're going with this. Yeah, that that was a, a clean segue. That's what we call those. <laughs> yeah, that was not a sloppy segue. It was a Jake way. <laughs> a Jake way. I jaked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but we brought Tim here because we we have all consumed Black Mirror's mm. new Bandersnatch. Yep. On Netflix. Yep. Falling down the little rabbit troll trail that that was. Mm-hmm. The rabbit troll might troll. be just troll. as appropriate as a rabbit trail. Yeah. Yeah. In this case. Um, so for those of you that don't know, we're just going to say right now, this will have Bandersnatch spoilers. This is a spoiler cast. So if you really love uh, anxiety-inducing, oh. near-future, in-the-past thrillers, it's not – I mean it's not a thrill. I mean how would you it's – it's how would you describe Black Mirror as a show? I mean we can say it's the modern-day Twilight Zone. Yeah. But what genre would you put it in yeah, no, generally I would, speaking? I, I have always compared it to Twilight Zone, yeah. right? It just feels – it feels like very much that, that sci-fi world with some – horrific elements i think very oftentimes it leans toward this this hint of horror but it's pri- primarily you know a sci-fi show and this is definitely agreed definitely sci-fi drama yeah. Yeah. yeah sometimes thriller sometimes 
horror, depending on the episode. Right. With a lot of social commentary in it. Like a lot of Sometimes black does. comedy. Sometimes black comedy. Depending, like, on Which the, is why some movies, like the movie Get Out, for example, feels like a really long, really high-quality Black Mirror episode right. in some ways. So, yeah, I think that description is perfect. Yeah. So for, that's the show. It started separate from Netflix. Netflix acquired it, has done now two seasons? Two seasons, yes. Was it BBC? It was. Well, it was a British show. I don't know if it was BBC. Oh, okay. but yeah. It was actually not even British. It was a Danish company. I, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I happened to notice okay. at the end of the credits of Bandersnatch <laughs> that it was listed under the Endemol Group. Ah, I was like, that's. Of- I was like, that's pretty morbid. Why are they called Endemol? Like, <laughs> is this is this some more black mirror, like so real life black, black mirror, mirror yeah. stuff? Yeah. Fits. So I looked it up. Turns out Endemol is a Danish company started by like a TV production company started twenty thirty years ago. One guy's last name was Enda E N D E. The other guy's last name was Mall M O L. And so when they created their TV company, it's Endemol. Gotcha. There you go. Uh, and it's spelled like their Danish name. All to say, it was it was they it was just kind of random, but it got a lot of popularity in you know the European countries and the U.S. Yeah. country after that. And then Netflix is like, well, we must own this. We must own this. Like they must own everything. Yeah, they they spend they're in something I was reading the other day. They're about to spend, or they will have spent about twelve billion with a B dollars. On content in 2018. Holy smokes. Well, here's an interesting tip for you. Not tip, but interesting anecdote. Factoid. Yeah. Netflix is now airing as much original programming as all four of the major traditional networks combined. ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. They they aired like 141 shows during 2017. Wow. 2018. It's not surprising. I feel like I'm always seeing new, like, oh, I didn't know that was a Netflix original. Right, exactly. Yeah. Netflix has 155 <clears throat> of these shows. So so for Black Mirror, I think they they just got the rights to the first two seasons at first, right? Or three seasons, whatever it was. Something like that. Two seasons. And then I don't know if that was part of the thing, of one of those things where they knew ahead of time we're going to create more or if they just got the rights to it first. I, I don't know. But I know they I had it for think, a while. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, d- I don't know the details of their deal, but... Well, and it is a great show for Netflix to own because it Black is. Mirror is, is so bingeable. I mean, I think it if is. you're a Black Mirror fan, you watch every yeah. Black Mirror episode. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Well, and it opens up opportunities like this. Now, in advance of season five, which Netflix has confirmed there is going to be a full season five, uh, in case people were worried that Bandersmatch... Bandersmatch? Bandersmatch. You gotta get out of here! I'm gonna get you in my bandersmidge. You get out of my bandersmidge. I thought you were gonna say bandersmidge. I was like, that's just when you watch one of the timelines, just a little bit of it. You just get a little bandersmidge every night. I just like make one decision. Just a little bandersmidge. <laughs> so, kind of out of nowhere, Netflix dropped Bandersnatch. Right. This yeah. one-off is it's not a TV show. It's a movie, but it's also it's a choose-your-own-adventure. So it. It's a game at the same time, and they didn't promote this like very much in advance. Mm. This was kind of guerrilla on Netflix's part, right? And then all of a sudden, we've got this new thing. Now, here's the thing: it's actually not altogether new. Netflix right. has actually right. already been doing exactly. choose your own adventure style stuff with kids shows, right? Dora the Explorer, Puss in Boots, yeah, a couple other things of that nature, but. The way they're applying it in the context of Black Mirror 
makes it fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we've got to talk about this. We've got to have multiple people go through this and figure out. And the reason we brought Tim, in addition to the fact that we liked him. Oh, Pause for yeah. pause I'm for staying quiet. No, no, no. Ouch! <laughs> you know, like in Fuller House, when the moment like that happens, and you have to yeah. let the audience go. Oh, we need the music to kick in too. Okay, soft little. Um, <laughs> is that this really is a game? It felt to me as much like a game as it did a movie or a TV show. And I say that because I've played a few games over the last couple of years. I think of Beyond Two Souls. Things such as um, Heavy Rain. That's what, yeah, same company made both those. Yep. Yeah, where you get to be playing through computer-generated movies mm-hmm. and making decisions. Right. You know, this decision or that decision. They give you two, three, sometimes four decisions to choose between, <clears throat> and that continues the story along the new path that you've chosen. Yeah. And I, I, I think also one of the things that really fascinated me about this show is, is how how closely they connected it to the world of video games, you know, especially those early 1980s video games. There's a lot of references to Pac-Man. Yep. The idea that, that the characters here, they're like Pac-Man who can never leave the maze. He can go one direction, he can go the other direction, but Pac-Man's free will is sort of this illusion. And so you have all this, all these... All these game-like elements where all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you think about all the games you've played and how you're controlling this figure within these games. And I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I never thought that existentially about Pac-Man. Right. That was interesting. I I thought it was really fascinating, actually. Yeah. It was that one scene with the character Colin where he describes it that way that I was like, wow. Yeah. I know this is Black Mirror and they kind of push things a little too far, but that was like... Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) No. Because all the other episodes have taken place in near future. Right. With, I think, one exception where it was was actually near future, but the story itself was a near future, like VR sim of the past. So this is the first episode to kind of take place in a setting that the world has already experienced. Yeah, it's 84, right? 1984. Yeah. Of course, chosen symbolically. Absolutely. Program and control, 1984, the classic Orwellian. Yeah, where you're being monitored all the time. Program and control, Pac-Man. Come on. (laughs) That's so obvious now. So (laughs) I think it does lend a different sense of when they're talking about these other things about reality. It lends it an even more grounded feel than previous things. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about the episode, actually – one of the Easter eggs in here, there's an episode in another season called Nosedive with Bryce Dallas Howard. And it's all about how this social network becomes connected. We have a social kind of score within the social network. And depending on how good or bad it is, you know, affects your station in life right. and what kind of perks you right. get and access to things you have. Um, and it feels it was near future. So it felt plausible but at the same time they have certain things in the show that were nowhere near in real life so right. you sort of think well we're not here yet this is all still just I feel like a warning we could a get warning. here we right. could get here right. whereas with this one 19 being set in 1984 there's a sense of oh maybe we're already here right, right. especially as they're talking about how these things have great graphics and it looks fantastic and it looks like 
really old Atari 2600 style mm. games. Right. We're way past this point. Yeah. So yeah. what does that mean right. about our location within the Black Mirror universe subconsciously? Black Mirror is – I think what it does really well and what and the pieces I've watched, I haven't watched all of it. Right. But it does a good job of sort of asking you to place these things in your real universe or at least to find and match up things in your universe without explicitly telling you so. Right. Though there is an exception to that in this uh, – in Bandersnatch. In Bandersnatch, yeah. But I thought they did it with a pretty good effect. Let me set up the story but so like people know what we're talking about. Right. It's set in 1984, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. We, we open with a young man named Stefan waking up. We see he lives with his dad and he's got an interview with a video game company that – you know, it makes the games of one of his favorite game creators, and he's going to get to demo a game he's been making based on this book that belonged to his mom. It's right. implied his mom is no longer in the picture, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure game. And so, for, and so, our viewing experience is now following him throughout the next couple of days, weeks, months as he decides what he's going to eat for breakfast, as he decides what he's going to listen to on the bus, as he decides whether or not he's going to take a job offer, as he decides how he's going to code the game, how he's going to respond to his dad, how he's going to respond to his therapist. We are, as the viewer slash player, pulling the strings. and that Kind of. Sort of. Yeah. And, and that sort of gets to the choose-your-own-adventure thing here and the question that right. this is re- wrestling with, free will versus... Um, and a determined timeline. Right, exactly. Predetermination or predestination, right. whatever you want to talk about. You know, I think that it, it brings up a host of really, really interesting questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that the show, for me, I think it really effectively dealt. You know, it, it feels like a gimmick. You turn it on, and and you can see how this would be pretty gimmicky. For me, though, I think the gimmick worked because I think that they were really wrestling with a lot of very interesting questions, not only about technology and its influence on us, but the power of story and, and some bigger questions that we've asked as, as humankind for thousands upon thousands of years. How much of what we do is predetermined? Mm. Um, how much of what we do is free will? And I think that those are all really interesting questions that this show asks very well. Right. No, I agree with that. And I... What I found fascinating about it was their willingness to very directly break down that fourth wall. Right. And you very quickly realize you're being talked about. You, the viewer, are being talked about. And so I don't want to get into it yet, and then we'll probably get there. But there are some story paths that you can go down where you have some really direct interaction with the characters. At least it feels that way. You literally become part of the story. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was really cool. But when you said something about how we're pulling the strings, and I said sort of, the reason I said that is because... And this happens with a lot of choose-your-own-adventure games and books. The person who created it is still guiding you where they want you to go. And if you, you know, throughout the show, you kept seeing all these different paths where you had where it was either yes or no or all these different choices. Um, for example, when your game glitches out and your dad's trying to get you to go to lunch, or the, the, he's trying to get the character to go to lunch because right. he realizes, you know, you right. need to get out of the house. I need you, you know, to get out of your room. Uh, the only two choices were to pour tea all over your computer or scream at your dad. Right. So it's guiding you to overreact right. one way or another. Right. Well, so, it, yeah. It, it's like that Pac-Man analogy again. Right. You know, you've got these two choices right. and sometimes the choices aren't really... And in my mind, I'm going, where's the third choice? Where's the fourth choice? Right. Where's the... 
Give your dad a hug and get back to work choice. Because that's the nice Tim Nestor thing to do, you know? Let's bring in a hug. So, yes, there is a – and we can talk about how this compares to video games too, but there is a an element of giving you the the feeling that you are really guiding it, but in reality you're not. And they talk about that in Bandersnatch. Right. About how we want you to feel like you're in control, but you're not. Right. Well, so I think that ties well to Paul. And the question I wanted to ask to both of you is – and Paul already answered it, is how did you feel about even knowing that they can't – it's a gimmick that they can't truly give you unlimited options and let you control the universe per se. How did you feel about the way the Choose Your Own Adventure format worked for this sh- for this viewing experience, like what, what, like Paul, you said you actually were able to get immersed into it. You enjoyed, yeah, it and, for what it was. And let me unpack that. I think that that here's the thing that that really fascinated me about it, or one of the things that fascinated me about it. You, as the viewer, are manipulating Stefan as he goes through his life. You are pushing him down certain roads, roads that might not necessarily even be particularly good for him. Um, you're making him potentially do some really terrible things. You are manipulating his path. Right. What I think that was really um, clever about this show is that it reminds you, I think, in a way that the show itself, the creators of the show, are manipulating you as well. Yep. You know, they're controlling you. They're forcing you to make certain choices. Um they talk often about, you know, a character will say, are you sure you want to do this? Let's think about this choice. If you make a decision that cuts off the timeline too soon in the story's mind, it just snaps you back into bed and allows you to do it over again. Within the conceit of the show, with, within the context of the show, all those restarts make a lot of sense. But it's really just a clever way of manipulating the viewer into creating the story that really, as you mentioned, Tim, the storytellers want you to, to experience. And they give you patterns to look for, too. So the clock turning from, what is it, 629 to 6.30 or whatever it mm-hmm. was, and the alarm going off, and he's in bed, that triggers, here's the beginning right. of a new take on this thing. And then the TV show where they're giving the review of the game becomes like, okay, here's the end of the storyline. All right, so what do you think about Bandersnatch? And then he gives his review based on decisions you've made for Stefan along the way. I mean, minor spoiler here, I guess, but most of those reviews were negative. Right. But there was a handful of times when I made some pretty horrible decisions and some pretty yeah. awful things happened. Game got a great review. Well, that was an interesting element, and I, uh-huh. this is this is a rabbit trail, I know. But this is – I found that actually really fascinating. Me too. That when you make the worst decisions yep. for the character, the game that he creates is so much better. When you make decisions that are really ultimately healthy for the character, if you dump coffee right away on the computer and it's the end – game gets zero out of five stars but stefan's alive everybody's happy relatively speaking well not really happy because this is black mirror but um, (laughs) alive at least but yeah i mean there's a certain there's a certain functionality within that ending even though the game is terrible apparently and i think that that's interesting that that the show suggested that there's a certain element of madness and dysfunction that comes to making something really great well, that that is an interesting point. I do want to follow this rabbit trail a little bit more in that I think as a 
culture of creative storytellers, whether it's video games, whether it's writing, whether it's painting, movie making, whatever, what have you, there is sort of this mythos around the tortured creator and the fact that good art comes from dark places and that it's hard to create good art. If it, I feel like it's almost become to the point where if you didn't come from a really dark place, you can't create good art. Right. That's almost this unspoken <clears throat> assumption that right. the comfortable people can't make good art. And this really does seem to in a subconscious, it's maybe not the main point, back that up and that to your point, when you make healthier choices comparative to the ones right. you have, the game turns out terrible. When you make destructive choices, the game is viewed really well. And that yep. – in w- at least one of the endings I ran into, that was sort of – Right, that was even mentioned in the review of it. Well, you know, you know, he had this terrible ending, and yeah. this game is going crazy. It was actually mentioned in connection with the death of Colin too. Yeah, that people could stop snapping up his new game. Well, right? and and I think that you have you even have at the very beginning of one timeline, Colin, the the expert video game maker, he he says, if you're doing a game like this, you need a touch of madness. You need mm-hmm. to have that that spark. And it reminded me actually of a movie that I saw just recently called At Eternity's Gate, which was all about this this connection between genius and madness. Uh, the movie was about Vincent Van Gogh, mm. and it really explores the idea of of how much of of Van Gogh's special sight to paint the things that he said that he saw. How much of that came from his um, fragile state of mind you know and and it gets pretty spiritual too it's a fascinating movie but i think that that you're right jake there's a lot of connection um at least in society now between this idea of genius and madness we're 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 really taken by the idea of tortured artists it's true and it's a pretty fascinating theme if nothing else yeah i thought it was interesting too when you look at stefan who's clearly been through a lot he has a very strained relationship with his dad which you discover later why a lot of that is and his mom's out of the picture so he clearly is he's a tortured soul regardless of how the game's going to end up turning out and then on the other side you've got this guy colin who's got this unbelievable confidence and swagger and he's always just kind of calmly smoking a cigarette off on the side and I liked that character a lot, by the way. I thought he was really well acted and well played. I agree. I agree. But he was constantly able to make fantastic games. Even though he worked for this company, he was kind of constrained by... So one of the options right at the beginning, which I took, I took the very safe route right out of the gate, where you accept the job with the the company... No, I went frosted. Frosted. No, okay. frosted you got to do flakes. the frosted. Did we all go frosted flakes? Yeah. 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 I, I went frosted, frosted flakes. Tony okay. the Tiger. You yeah. know, you got to do the cookie. Yeah. We're all brand controlled by the yeah. brand. Yeah, the first choice they give you in this series is the cereal choice, right? right? And so I picked frosted flakes. But Did you all do the Thompson twins? Yes. I did do the Thompson uh, twins. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. Son of a gun. This yeah, is awesome. Um, but uh, but then, of course, with, with, with Colin, he's able to still deliver these high-quality games. And then the little review section at the end, you know, Colin does it again, and he delivers this fantastic game. And so, there's it's still po- see. I, I I agree with what you're saying, Jake, in that they're kind of hinting that the tortured artist is the one who makes the good art, and yet Colin is still able to deliver this high quality experience. But is that truly art, or is that just him doing? Because he seems kind of bored and kind of checked out as he's going through the motions with his. Well, and, th- and this there's gets that, going. and we do start to understand that he he is messed up. 
is he is pretty up. messed up. Yeah. I think we don't get to go there because he is not the main point. Right. But I think what they do give us, you know, when uh, Stefan comes to him, right, right, is we get a little bit of window into his own version of insanity. Yeah, yes. that's maybe connect probably connected to drug use. But yeah. the difference is, Colin is able to still create without making these extreme and destructive choices, at least that we see. I no, suppose there could be things behind say, the scenes. We do see. We do see. Yeah, there's, there's definitely now, a choice. Now, it where was a really extreme choice. <laughs> you mean the, the balcony scene? Yeah, yeah, the balcony scene. Sure. <laughs> We're doing – I mean, this is full spoilers. Sure. We gave the warning. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, that's throw, true. he jumps yeah. off the building yeah. because he's like in another But even without that scene, his games are still good. What I'm saying is that that's only in his interactions with Stefan. Yeah, I, I would sure. argue that he's a really compelling character. He I mean, is. just talking about it, I think – there's a lot of levels to unpack with Colin. That was one of the coolest moments at the beginning of the show with him, where he seems to know, ah, you can try this again on the next timeline. Right. Right. He says, wrong timeline, mate. Yeah, yeah. He starts to kind of reference the fact, and, and there was something else that he said. I forget what it was. Somewhere he filled in the blank uh, for Stefan during that second scene through. Right. right. I was like, Colin knows what's going on here. Right. Right. There's exactly. even a moment where I was kind of like, Colin knows about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, he knows me. Well, so sorry. You were talking about the safe choice that you made right out of the gate, and I sidetracked you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made the safe choice. The game comes out to mediocre, and at the very end, Stefan just gets up off the couch after they watch the TV review of his game, and he says, I have to try again. And then it goes blank, and then you're in bed again. So I had that moment where I just wondered, to what degree do, do the creators of this Bandersnatch show want us to think that Stefan knows or was that just a comment that he's making that they had him make for our behalf to, hey, we're about to start over again? That's what I think it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or like, or was his character just thinking, I'm going to go try to make another game? No, I totally, I totally know what you mean because I got to that same point where uh, – And he said it twice. There's he, two different times I heard The game gets shipped and it gets a terrible review as he's sitting there with his dad. His dad tries to say something nice yeah. and he's like, like – Don't listen to them, son, yeah. or whatever. I'm doing it again. I'm going to do it again. Like, I'm yeah. going to go back and do it. And then the way it goes back, and he now, he's also, yeah, making references. Colin's yeah. making references to that he's done these things before. Mm-hmm. And especially in connection with the locked door that the dad always yes. did, I thought they had some sort of time. I, I, I thought that for a little bit that they're going to go with sort of like a time travel, like about time. Mm. Did you ever see that movie about no, time I've with Dom Bob talk about I've talked about it a lot. You like it. I like it a lot. I thought it was going to be something of that nature where they had this time travel and that was going to explain Hmm. how you were able to relive these alternate realities. I was hoping they were going to make it in about time in the about time universe, but it was not the case. Hmm. Yeah. No, it was. So is Stefan supposed to be aware that he's reliving this over and over again? Well, I think he becomes aware. As okay. time goes on, or is that just sort of the product of his of his fractured mind? I mean, I think that's one of the one of the yeah. places of uncertainty that this show really effectively forces you into is it makes you question the reality around the character, just as Stefan is mm. is questioning the reality, and mm. and it seems like all the endings point to different potential scenarios that Stefan is thinking about in yeah. his own mind. Yeah. Um, I think it really does it effectively, and I, I really like the the tracks that you're able to go down mm-hmm. to to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I ultimately thought of three different, three or four different possibilities for explaining how this is all happening. What is his understanding of this? One being time travel, 
which I never actually ultimately – I thought about it a lot. Right. I thought there were a lot of things hinting towards it, but there was never actually any evidence of that. Uh, the other one being the most obvious, the program and control that perhaps they're drugging him and messing with his memory. And Everyone's he still gets an actor like little, sort of suggests all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he gets little pieces of memory here and there that – but he doesn't remember most of it. And then, of course, what you mentioned, the mental health element. How much of this is all in his own head? And I think they wanted you to wrestle with, is this the product of some higher being or higher beings controlling us, whether that's a viewer, us, you yeah. know, where they make reference to us, or whether that's some cosmic force, mm. or is this a mental health thing? And right. either way, there's an element of control beyond you, right? Right, right exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. And because that's sort of our limited understanding of mental health issues is that our brain is so complex that it can get broken in ways that start to affect us beyond what we can control. And that's the tension, I think, the struggle when we wrestle with any mental health issue, you know, no matter how mild, air quotes, to severe, is how much of this is in my control? Right. And how much of this is beyond me because something's broken? Well, that brought up to one of my favorite moments in the whole series. And I'm not sure everyone will even experience this part. I think you should. If you if you continue to pursue the multiple pathways, you'll, you'll find this one because it happens several times. But it's where he's in the kitchen and he's just had this explosion and of anger. Mm-hmm. And he – how far in the spo- specific spoiler should no, I get let's, here? I, no, go, this go, is go full spoiler it. cast. This is after he's picked up the glass ashtray uh-huh. and he's killed his dad. After he's killed, this his is right dad. after he's killed his dad, and then he just kind of sighs and looks up into nothing and says, "No, what do I do?" I know. And I, that moment to me yeah. was kind of like he just kind of submitted to whether it was a mental health thing that he finally just gave in and said, "Fine, I'm being controlled by something else or the cosmic force or whatever this is. This is for your entertainment, you, you psycho." And I felt bad, by the way, the way they kept talking about how this is for our entertainment. I was like. Maybe. Yeah, it was. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that, that moment of – that submission moment. You could see it in his face. Of course, it was well-performed as well. But that that moment was pretty striking to me when he just kind of gave in and said, what do I do? Yeah. And then my first reaction, you have two options. Cut up the body, which sounded way too Dexter and gross to me, or which bury I the do, body. Actually. I said bury the body. That was mm-hmm. my first choice, which I know was probably not the smart answer, but it felt like the less disgusting right. thing to do. And as soon as I said it, he just goes – all right or okay he just kind of yeah. quietly agreed yeah and i was like this is so bizarre because yeah. he went from being resistant and this is crazy to finally just he just gave it well gave and it, in. it's really interesting because it, it does speak exactly to your point i mean i i chose to cut up your body because i'm thinking i went back you got to get rid of the body right yeah. at that point if you if you do that i mean you got to cut up the body. You were trying to help him out. Exactly. And, and so, but he. I'm scared of Paul now. He looks up. <laughs> he looks up. And, and he says, Really? You know, yeah. essentially something, yeah. something to that effect, but he still submits. And right. I think that that was a fascinating moment. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, that follow up scene, there's a, there's a couple ways it could play out. And, and a couple, several of them, Colin shows up to your house because right. the boss makes him go to figure out. Did you not get Wow. That? I no, did not see I, any of this. I didn't see that. What? The boss goes to the house in, in mine. Really? I haven't yeah. seen Colin that one. Colin still exists in that timeline? Yes. So Colin so, still exists. He's sitting in the office. And and, and had he jumped the, in that timeline? Well, he had to. No. Have, because they forced well, you. No. What? No, yeah. it's, it's... How is there a timeline where he doesn't jump? I tried. There's a timeline where you don't even follow Colin. 
Oh, where you don't follow Colin. I forgot about that yep. choice. You don't follow Colin. That's, that's where the, the uh, not follow Colin timeline. Dang. So Colin, <laughs> so, I totally forgot about that being even a choice. So to folks, go back earlier in, time. in the show, there's a moment where your dad tricks you into going to lunch, but he actually takes you to your oh. therapist. And as you're getting ready to decide whether or not to go into the therapist, you see Colin walking around the block. And you can follow him, which leads to a whole series of interesting choices at Colin's house. You meet his family. Oh. You can get high with him or not and then jump off the balcony or not because he starts to talk to you about multiple right, timelines. It high. doesn't matter. And so anyway, there's another timeline where you don't follow him. You actually go in and talk to the therapist. Okay. And Colin's still alive. He shows up at your house to at- help you finish the, oh. the project. And he just comes in, and your dad's body is kind of back behind the steps, very visible, but Colin doesn't see it, or at least he doesn't act like he sees it. And he says, where's your pit? And so, is it upstairs? Because Stefan's just kind of like frozen in fear. And so Colin just goes upstairs, looks around, and says, wow, you've really gone off the deep end, because he sees all this stuff around the wall. And then when he turns around, he sees that Stefan had grabbed a knife and was standing there holding it right behind him. And you have a choice, right? And he goes, oh, so you're going to kill me too? And so you have a choice right there, kill Colin or let him live. So and I've tried both of those, and I just found this really fascinating. If you if you let him live, he basically says, you know, I forget exactly his advice, but he gives some kind of advice on the next time, what to do the next time. And he leaves. Shortly after that, as you're burying the body, you hear sirens show up, and you get arrested. Uh, if you kill him, he is remarkably calm and even helps you out. He'll say, like, all right, well, that stings a little bit, though, so maybe let's find something blunt. And he gets, like, this trophy that he finds on one of your shelves, and he gives it to you and says, that, that ought to do the trick. And he kind of, like, just bends down a little bit in front of you with his head right there. He's like, go ahead. And he just, like, waits for you to hit him. He's like, go ahead, man. I'm just, what are you waiting for? And he just sits there, and then you kill him. And that's and then it jumps to the review where it's like, by the way, you killed Colin. <laughs> Colin is seriously messed up. Yeah. So seriously I found that timeline to be really fat, that whole scene of – him submitting to the to this higher power, i.e., you, the viewer, and then him also submitting to Colin in a weird way, too. Even when he says, "Because yeah, he's kill sort me. of he's yeah. sort of accepted that in this timeline, mm-hmm. this is what happens." To yeah. you. Right. It's, so whatever. The only one that I ended up getting a amazing game review, like five out of five. This game is fantastic. Was when I cut up the body. Right. Of the dad. Right. And you see his head. Yeah. And his head is on the thing. He's totally gone crazy and it matches up with what you hear about the author of the Bandersnatch exactly. book. And the idea, of course, being that the only way to truly be able to create this perfect multipath experience is for you to kill somebody. Yeah. You just have to lose yourself, yeah. essentially. Completely. You Give have yourself to believe. to the creative process, literally. It almost had a sacrifice vibe to it, which I thought was a little yeah. bit weird. But well, well and, all the endings in some ways had this sacrifice vibe to it. Even the most satisfying ending, I think, was was had some sort of element of, of sacrifice, which I found pretty interesting. I think what they in the part where they uh, – where Colin – or Stefan, sorry, watches the documentary that Colin sent him. Uh, or bequeathed to him, either way, yeah. right? The, the gal talks about the author of the Choose Your Own Adventure book and how he went crazy and because of his timeline theories and how in this I, in this world that he created where there's an infinite number of alternate reality timelines, then ergo your morality no longer matters because – you could make any of these choices and if you don't make this choice in another timeline you are making this choice to kill someone and so you've already made that immoral choice anyway so you might as well do it here if it helps further your case and so there's a sense that 
yeah, you have to give yourself over to this worldview in order to make it hmm. the right way. It's hmm. almost like I, – I, and I don't know whether the, the authors of this show intended this, but it's almost like when you give yourself over to that process, you're sacrificing yourself to Pax, the, right. the thief of destiny oh, yeah. they talk about in the very beginning. That is that is the monster of this movie. You just give yourself over to the process, and maybe you make a great game, but man, at what cost? And well, and of course, at the beginning, you sacrifice the artistic integrity and even quality of the game just to get a good, cushy job and to get it done. That's the easiest path is right. accept the job. He has a whole team of creators. Someone's going to come into the music. We're all set with that. And then when the game is done, it's mediocre at best. Yeah. And so you're kind of sacrificing the artistic integrity, I suppose, or the quality of the game for that part too. Well, and all of us, I think, are, are creators in our own way. And I think that we all feel that that push and pull, the idea of, of having this vision that we need to pursue and the sacrifices that we need to pursue it as opposed to living life functionally and healthily and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that there is there is a natural tension, I think, be, between the act of, of, of human creation and living a nice, normal, happy life. Don't you think? Yeah. I And I think you mentioned that, Tim. You mentioned, I don't know if this is the creator's intent. I think the creator's intent... If I have to project on them and I choose to, that's my choice in this case. <laughs> Here we go. Is is exactly this, what we're doing right now, kind of wrestling with this, rolling around with it, like mm. getting our attention. Yeah. Because now they're, they have a form of control over us. Right. And I think that's a part of the commentary of the whole thing mm. is – you're making these choices. We're, we made the choice of whether or not to talk about it, but did we? <laughs> or did they create something that forced us yeah. to talk mm-hmm. about it? Yeah. And I think that's what it wants us to wrestle with. I mean, you think about how much even the choices you make and the time, amount of time you have to choose being very similar to Netflix's own cho- like next episode? push the next episode. Right. Yeah. And yeah. keep going. Yeah. Where if I don't push this, it's going to do it anyways. So right. I didn't really have a choice. And have you noticed on the next episode thing now, like, after a little while, it'll say, hey, are you still watching this? But it used to just say, are you still watching this? Continue or exit. Yeah. Now it says, are you still watching this? Watch two more episodes. Watch one, one more oh, episode. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's a new thing that we just started noticing where uh-huh. it'll say, so you, see you have a several Before it, quote unquote options yeah, now yeah. Right. where you can either just quit because no, I'm not watching anymore or I'm going to watch two more episodes. I'm going to watch one more episode. Before you prompt Felt me. Felt a little again. Bandersnatch-ish. What does it do yeah. when you're done with the one or two? Does it turn it off or does I think it, it ask you the same prompt question. you again? It prompts you the same. Yeah. We didn't try that, but yeah. It's like, do you want one more Chick-fil-A nugget? Yeah. <laughs> two more Chick-fil-A nuggets? <laughs> Trick question. You want them all. <laughs> yeah, and I do think you had talked about how this ventures a little bit into – some experiences that folks can have with adventure games, a video right. game experience. I think in some ways it does, but the difference is I felt at odds with Stefan for most of my viewing experience because either the choices I was given were like, wow, this this kid's got problems. I wouldn't smash the computer or scream at my dad right there. So there's that. Yeah. But also he resists. There's a couple of moments where you tell him, you're, I don't know if you guys saw this part either, when you're in the therapy session and it's pull on your earlobe or yeah, right. whatever, or right, bite right, right, your fingernails. Right. Yep. And he go, and he like grabbed his hand and like was pushing his hand down because right. he kind of felt the urge to do something that he knew wasn't his choice. And so I felt at odds with him. 
there's even a point where they truly break down that fourth wall and you get the choice to directly communicate with him and try to explain Netflix to a kid from 1984, which was, I thought, funny, had that dark humor yeah. element yeah. to it. But How also, far down that yeah, trail but, did but you But also kind of had me looking over my shoulder like, are they – like this is really weird that I'm – they made you feel like you're communicating with him. Yeah. Even right. it's, of course, it's all pre, right. pre-created. But um, I feel like in a, in a video game setting, at least in more modern adventure games – Right. I feel like I've got more control over who that character is. Are they a good person? Are they a bad person? Are they somewhere in the middle in the gray? Right. I mean, not even just adventure games, even large-scale action games like recent games like Red Dead Redemption 2 or Witcher 3 from a few years ago. They give you so many choices, you get to really shape who that character is. Right. And there's never a feeling of them going, wow, that doesn't feel like that was me. Well, and the other thing is is that modern video games, I think, they give you the option. and They lead you toward an optimistic ending. And I think one of the one of Some the interesting of things, just yeah. yeah, that's true because a lot of them can be pretty dark. Yes, so, but without spoiling anything, I think Red Dead Redemption Two is a good example of that. You mm-hmm. get to make choices for this cowboy Arthur, who's an outlaw. He's got a long history of violence and selfishness and and he goes there's some things that happened to him in this game which by the way this would have made a great like hbo miniseries the story of red dead redemption 2 would have been great for a a miniseries but he goes through some self-discovery and as he starts to see some of his former best friends and who he considers family going off the deep end and making decisions that he's going this isn't right this is just flat out wrong and then of course he he has something happen to him that makes him rethink the way he treats people, and he decides I'm going to spend the rest of my time right. helping folks. And it's just an interesting transformation. I think that's why it's called Red sure. Redemption, of sure. course. So, spoiler, spoiler, in the yeah. But it, and I think that does a really good job of allowing you to, because you can still be the cruel outlaw, right, fr- from moment to moment, right. The, but he has still has this overarching. He's he's finding some sort of redemption, but it, and it has this this story quality. I, I think one of the things that, that um, Bandersnatch, I think, did really interestingly is it reflected the nihilism of those early 1980s video games. Oh, yeah. You know, because I think that that, that was the area that I grew up with. You, you had the Pac-Mans, the Space Invaders. The joystick and, and one games, button. Exactly. Yeah. And these games never ended. Yeah. No matter how well you played, they would always end in death and destruction for you. And it seemed like this game sort of reflected that in a way, where you're sort of lost in this maze like Pac-Man is, and there's really no hope of escaping. And I think Which is why I think the game he was working on uh, that didn't really get a lot of spotlight, but I found it to be fascinating. Was nosedive? Right, right, exactly. There's there's this nihilistic, which was the Easter egg you're talking about. Yeah, there's there's this nihilistic, self-destructive aspect in this whole show, and 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 nosedive is is a perfect example. of The that. idea being, you jump off of a building and you just are avoiding obstacles on your way down to. Well, you're trying to get balloons, right? I think I that thought he said they were eyeballs, to... didn't he? I don't remember. Either way, balloons, eyeballs, yeah, it, some round circular uh, object. <laughs> it's 1984. The graphics were not the best. Yeah. But you jump off this ledge yeah. just as happens in potential Potentially. one of the, one of the mm-hmm. timelines. Yep. And you're falling to your death, but you're trying to collect these things as you go down. Right. It's just creepy. Yeah, you try to get stuff before you crash and burn. Right, right. And, 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 uh-huh. and that's really sort of not, Colin's – philosophy on life he is the he is maybe one of the most nihilistic characters i've ever seen on screen he is just there's no point and he's really well played too i should say very jake and i were looking this up earlier this week because i was like i've seen this kid before and you reminded me that he was in 
there was something that he was in that you reminded well, me of. The Revenant. The Revenant. He was in Detroit. But what I didn't know he was in, I didn't put it together until I looked it up on IMDb, was he was Eustace from Voyage, Voyage of the Dawn, Dawn Treader. Yeah. That's, that's where I that's first where, saw him. Because I remember going, he was a kid actor. I've seen him somewhere as a kid, and that's where And he I had can seen be him. super funny. I mean, yeah. he's a really good actor, yeah. I think. He, I, I, I thought that he was the best thing of, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which isn't necessarily a hard – that's not a really high bar. <laughs> but uh, he was really funny in that. Yeah, and he's done other comedies too. In Detroit, he was wicked bad. Oh, right. He's he's a good actor, Will Poulter. Yeah, he did a good job. So, t- let's go back. I want to go back to the video game thing again and say, what do you think about this sort of creep? I know you said it didn't feel totally like the video games you've played because no. there was this tension between right. you and the game, but. Stepping back from how you felt about that, there is this creep just in the experience aspect of now I have to interact with my movie. Oh, for sure. And with video games, this creep toward I'm having less interaction with my game. Yeah. And I wonder, based on watching this, do you think there – that that trend is going to continue where these two mediums are sort of pushing towards a some sort of center Mm. or is it – are those really just gimmicks and we're still going to prefer, hey, movies for passive experience and video games when I want to do Oh, I think those are going to continue to be crossover. I mean, last year, I think it was last year, um, we had a game called um, Quantum Break that actually featured a couple of actors you would recognize, the kid who plays Iceman from the X-Men trilogy, the original one, and then, um, shoot, I'm forgetting his name. He was This guy was in The Wire as the mayor. He was... most popular from Game of Thrones as Littlefinger. Anyway, it had some well-known actors in it. And so you play the game, you play as one of the characters, and then it goes to these cutscenes that were almost like full-fledged TV episodes. A lot of decisions you made, and there were some episodes you would never see based on things you do in the game. So that was one. More recently, uh, the company Quantic Dream, who made Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, their game from this past year, Detroit Become Human, which I thought was a fantastic story in its own right, had... I thought a great way of allowing you to essentially be three different characters in that story. These androids that are becoming self-aware, basically, is what the storyline is. Very Black Mirror-esque in some ways, too. And uh, But there was enough gameplay there that I felt like I have to be smart and go explore the environment and find the clues. Perhaps even at times I have to be you know quick on the draw because there's going to be some action scenes where I need to make quick decisions. And at the same time, I'm making conversation choices like I would in this Netflix series. So I, th- I think it's going to continue to – the lines are going to continue to blur. I think the next step for a Netflix is going to be something where you're not just making a choice in a moment on a timer. You might even actually get to explore an environment in some way, shape, or form. Almost an open world type of – Yeah. I mean maybe it's just here's a room right. and maybe where you tap on the screen or maybe there's maybe there's just two directions do you want to look left or do you want to look right do you want to look in the drawer or do you want to look on top of the desk it'll be i think there'll be some things like that but i do think we're going to start to see that expand the interactivity on netflix and then i do think in video games although yes you are passive in some ways i think they're actually taking those passive adventure experiences i think of telltale's games like the walking dead and stuff like that which were fairly passive and now you've got someone like Quantic Dream with something like Detroit which is still very interactive and I think video games are going to continue to be mostly interactive and active not as passive but I think Netflix is going to become more and more all right now you choose see I depending on what clue you find sure that'll give you an option in a dialogue tree later 
it, yeah. it's, there's going to be more of that. Certainly possible. But I think it's – I personally, playing through this, my experience with it, I think it's st- going to remain a gimmick. I don't think this is going to be the next thing in digital storytelling as far as these TV shows slash movies that we make these choices in. I think they're going to be few and far between because I've personally found myself sort of not bristling. That's not – that's too strong. But sort of been thinking ah, – I I know that they're – pushing me through these right. things. I'm not making all these actual choices. I want if I'm going to binge Netflix, I want to be passive. I think <laughs> you know what you I mean? I don't want to be doing anything. Relax. Yeah, versus yeah, yeah. if I play a game, I want to do a little bit more. And sure. so I think you're going to see I agree with you on the video game side to say I think they'll refine what a passive Yes. video game looks like to be more interactive and have truly have more options. Yeah. But I would be surprised if we see a plethora yeah. of these types of viewing experiences. I think that I wouldn't I, – I only did this because it was a gimmick. You know, and I don't think I would do it regularly. Back in the day, adventure games were all about typing in the right – combination of words i remember right. playing old sierra games like king's quest and space quest and stuff like that i don't know if you guys played those on the computer no, back in the day but it could be anything to you just use your arrow keys to get into a ship but then you can't power the ship on until you realize you have to actually type in some combination of power so press power or push power throttle or something you have to type that in and so that felt cool as a kid that wow once i figured that out even though it took my, me and my brother a long time to figure out what button to push there by the way, that was thanks to the printer that was sitting beside us because we were like, turn ignition, start engine, move spaceship. We were trying all these codes. <laughs> and finally, we looked at the printer right beside us with this big power button. And I was like, oh, push power. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> so that was – I remember those moments as being really fun, you know, very – a lot of discovery there. But um, I do think that these games are getting so smart in not just saying, do you want to be good or bad? I wanted to be clear on that part too. They, they have so much gray area. Right. And a game that, of course, is one of my favorites in recent memory is The Witcher 3 because so much of that is gray where you have to decide, for example, because it's in a fantasy setting, you discover that this village has been sending offerings to what they think is a god. Actually turns out as kind of this ugly, overweight creature. He's like half human, half whatever. He's some kind of fantasy creature. But he knows what he's doing. He's manipulating this whole village to keep feeding him and bringing him gold. And he's just sitting down there, obese and fat and disgusting, in this underground cave. But he speaks to them through this series of uh, like tunnels, basically, where they think it's the voice of some kind of deity. And he's been doing it for years. And so you have a choice there to kill the guy, or he offers to pay you a whole bunch of money, which is clearly the bad choice. Um, or you can go and tell the villagers, and then they lose their cool, and they go down and kill the guy. So there's all these different choices to make, but none of them are really the quote-unquote right choice. What I like about this is that there's even in life there aren't necessarily always a perfectly right and perfectly wrong choice. Everything has nuance right. and gray to it. And that's what I really like. And I felt like with Bandersnatch they did a pretty good job of having some nuance in it, but for the most part it felt very much like well, Stefan's going to do something bad here. Which bad thing do you want him to do? Right, 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 right. Do you want him to pour yeah. stuff on his computer to destroy it or bash it to destroy right, it? Right, correct. Exactly. Well, either way, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. So just to just to riff off of what you said, Jake, um, I think it will continue to be a gimmick. But I think it will continue to be an ongoing gimmick where I think that, that there will be continually shows like this being hmm. made. And I think where this might be most effective, honestly – I agree with you. When I'm watching like a Netflix show, I kind of want to sit and, you know, 
eat my snacks and just just absorb it. You know, think about it, absorb it, but not necessarily have that interaction. Where I think that these stories can really excel is in a party situation. If you have like a few friends together mm-hmm. where you're choosing the paths for whoever, mm-hmm. you know, in unison, I think that that could be a lot of fun. I can see that too. And each person put cast their vote, and then yeah, exactly. Like, if there's five of you. Whatever three of you pick is the thing that happens. Exactly. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but they'd have to give you more time. <laughs> That's true. Definitely. Would. Maybe that could We'd be, be arguing game. a lot. Yeah. I think if the three of us were there, <laughs> would we, yeah, would we be able to get I'd through be any choices? To somebody else. I, I appreciated the way that they the timer starts, and then they found ways for the characters to fill it in with right. a little comment here or there. Yeah. yeah. Again, we especially with a character weird. like Colin, like it's your choice. It's up to you. You decide. <laughs> like he was just very. I won't force you. And I, and I loved that. And again, the scene that you guys haven't seen, I encourage you to go and track that yeah, one down. It is, pretty, it is pretty interesting. But he's the one when he's like, so are you going to kill me? And he's just very like, eerily calm about it. And he's like, it's your choice. It's totally up to you. And as he's waiting for you to make that decision. I, li- I liked that a so lot too. Speaking of your guys' terrible decisions, because I didn't have it. <laughs> I had to be forced by the show to finally kill my dad. I, I, I tried to because I figured I knew I did you too. guys. I yeah, knew you no, guys yeah. that you were sick. You were going to do all these other things. Uh, <laughs> so I said, I have to, I have to make the most moral choices of right. the three of right, us. Exactly. Yeah, so at the very beginning when it said Frosted Flakes or Rice Krispies or Kill Dad, I chose Kill Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up whacked him. And it was – show was over. Show was over. Um, let's talk a little bit about the real-life creepiness of this and that Netflix knows all the decisions you guys just made. Right. That we all, whoever's watched Bandersnatch, just made. And that's all connected with the data about what else we watch, how much yeah. we watch. I mean, I'd love to see the analytics how we, that they oh, have on this. Yeah. What's I'd the, be fascinated. Us, I, and, and they're going to have, they're going to know, like, hey, people that all watched Daredevil, because we've all watched Daredevil, yeah. they consistently chose to hack up the body. Or maybe, I would say, because Daredevil's a great show, we all consistently chose the nicest choices that we could. And then went back and tried all the terrible ones just to see what our alter ego might have done. But what do you – I mean that kind of data is probably innocuous in this one-off. But when you think about you it – You mean like how other how choices that, or other viewing habits might affect yeah. your choices? Right. Interesting. Like okay. what they might learn about your own psychology to say yeah. that, boy, these people that have rewatched The Office five times, we know – like when we segmented our data by people who have rewatched The Office five times or at least one episode of The Office five times and like and then choices to hack up the dad. Mm-hmm. Like if you've watched The Office, like then they could come out with a data point and release this potentially and say, hey, people that rewatched The Office five or more times were 37 times more likely to hack up the dad and murder their friend. Mm. Either that or even think about all the different pathways that you could go down in this. How many folks are completionist and needed to experience all right, of it? Right. right. How many folks would say, nope, I'm just going to experience it to the end once. And right. once I see the credits, I'm done. And I think there's a whole different – I mean all those analytics would be fascinating to see. It would right. be fascinating. And how they're going to – Is there correlation? Effect. Is there not? I, well, I'd love to see that stuff. It, Who knows? It, it opens up a whole new line of thinking. Plus, right? I'm an analytics nerd, so that yeah. sounds fascinating <laughs> right. to me. But I, I think that in some ways, yeah, in some ways it seems like um, organizations like Netflix, because they want to give us the – they want us to watch as much as possible. 
they're trying to hone in the viewing experience as much as possible. And yeah. you sort of get this creepy feeling in some ways that they're treating us like machines. Right. You know, they, they want us to, to be in these mazes, and eventually they're just going to create this one perfect show <laughs> that we'll just watch over and over and over again because yeah. there's nothing else well, better. Did well, you guys get to the scene where uh, he goes to his therapist and he describes who this the, you, the viewer? Describes the viewer. He's talking to his therapist. I got to where about, he was talking to her about Netflix. About, yes. Yeah. And then you have the choice, and they go into this big and fight scene. And she's like, scene. "Wouldn't it need to be more entertaining?" <laughs> Did you get yeah, to that point? Yes. Was like, "Wouldn't there need to be more?" That was action? my favorite ending. Yeah. Actually, I love that. I Did thought you that was say really yeah? funny. And then dad comes in and starts <laughs> yeah, fighting I loved him. It. So you both yeah. clicked. F yeah, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> F yeah, we did. <laughs> so did you go back and click the other? I no, didn't. Okay. I didn't. Because <laughs> I that was satisfying enough to me that I was like, I don't care what the other option was. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was. It was. It was really funny. Yeah. She's like, come on! <laughs> and, you know, she's got her weapons. That was crazy. He come just on, whips him out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was that was that was the one time. I, that was the only satisfying ending in that some was, ways. For that me. was the one time when the show just went off the deep end, where it was. I, I do think the show just kind of went some crazy places, but it stayed had it some felt, kind of consistency yeah. of. This is happening in 1984. That was the one time when I was like, although within the context of the conceit happened? of the show, it totally works because if it really was this entertaining, it felt a little thing, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It did, it, it did, <laughs> which I, I loved. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that was yeah. I was going to ask. That was going to be like my wrap up question was: A, did you explore the Netflix timeline where he you try to explain it to him, and yes. B. What happened when it asked you for more action? Did you say yeah or did you say F yeah? Because <laughs> <F-yeah. laughs> well, that was a funny option. Well, and here's the thing. It, it's, I think it would be really fascinating to figure out what these decisions tell about us. Yeah. You know, in just yeah. in terms of what, what our psychology is like. Because I think that, that when I got to that point, I figured, what would this character actually say? Yeah. By that time, F yeah. Well, well it, it, it was in a weird place because – you know, when it gives you those two options where it's like, give me a sign, tell me something. And then all of a sudden, on, I think it was my second time to that scene, instead of it being the symbol, like the choose your own path symbol or something else, I forget what those two are. Oh, pack. Yeah. Right. Now it said Netflix. I was like, what's this? Well, I know. Oh, exactly. It, it was just the Netflix logo. Because for me, that was the first thing that I wasn't, saw. That wasn't to me the until the second, second thing I saw. Like, so after I got to Oh, the really? Net, yeah, then I saw the packs and the symbols. So that's so, the first thing I saw. So I was when uh, I first experienced that scene, I was still kind of, quote unquote, in the story, in the moment. Yeah. But then the second time around, I was like, oh, they're doing some fourth wall stuff here. So I did Netflix yeah. and then I just kept trying to explain it to them. They keep giving you options like try to explain oh, yeah, more. Yeah. Yep. In the conversation, I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to keep trying to explain this because <laughs> yeah. this is hilarious. Listen, yep to him go I don't understand what you're saying <laughs> oh I I loved that uh, that fourth wall breaking thing yeah, that's, no, I, thought that was that's pretty I know you guys have talked about the problems with something like a dare um, not daredevil um, Deadpool mm-hmm. right but one of the things I love about Deadpool despite all its many content flaws is the fourth wall breaking they continue to do and I think that when done the right way it can be either hilarious or terrifying or a combination of both I liked what they did here with yeah, the fourth wall breaking I, I totally agree yeah there you have it, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Did you did you guys watch it already? I mean, I'm assuming you did if you went through this whole spoilery thing with us. <laughs> and so come talk to us on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. You can get Tim in on the conversation. If uh, Tim, what's your what's your handle? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Tim underscore Nestor, or you can find me at Fathers of the Grind on YouTube or on Twitter as well. All right, but. Now, because we make this one choice for you on every single episode, it's time <laughs> for the no most choice. least important thing.
here we are inside the most least important thing. These gentlemen are trapped in here with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to make them tell me and you what is the most least important thing. Paul blink twice right if now. you're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reaching for the crystal ash. Blink, blink, right blink, 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 blink. <laughs> All right. Uh, Paul, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, Jake, this is going to be. This is going to be one that, that may be a lucrative, most least important thing. Mm. Lucrative, mm. I like that. And it actually mm. sort of a it actually sort of riffs on what we've been talking about. Netflix owning everything. As we all know, there's a ton of content providers out there now, giving us tons of entertainment. They're looking everywhere for new themes, new shows that they can show people. Right? They're they're going far afield. They're they're pulling things from from um, overseas. They're re rebooting old shows the latest thing that they're doing is they're taking on podcasts oh yes that is correct podcasts are the new hot property there are people who are snapping up podcast properties and Mm. then airing them on netflix amazon homecoming was a huge thing i think it was on on amazon oh right 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 that was amazon and they did they also did that other one that mythology one exactly name of it lore lore yeah lore so you have some some podcast properties that are sort of going into Mm. this streaming world and so i'm hoping jake that if we get a little bit more traction on this podcast someone from amazon may want to buy it from us look at that we could be an amazon original yeah, we won't be starring in it. Hopefully, there will be much better looking people starring in it. Wow. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, Why would I hide this light under a bushel basket? <laughs> Tim, what do you got for us today? Pretty sure a bushel basket isn't a thing. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of podcasts, by the way, I did just read that, and I don't know if this—I don't know if this is true or not. The numbers could be conflated, but I did read. The Joe Rogan podcast, which I think might be the most popular one. It's one of it's the most popular for sure ones up there. Up there. Mm. Um, it makes somewhere o- over the 50 million mark. Goodness gracious, That's Jake. Insane. Why are we not making that kind of money? Well, we got to put, put a little bit of money in up front. Yeah. That's the uh, thing. And it's a hard one to recommend. I mean, Joe is very fast and loose with his language. I mean, it's got – so I can't recommend yeah. it. Well, Jake is sometimes fast and loose with he, his language. That's true. That's true. But I not as bad as Joe Rogan. Yeah. But keep in mind, he does seven minutes or more of advertising to start every show. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway. All right. That's not my most least important thing. I just thought of that when you said podcast becoming the thing. Yeah. I mean, they are. Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. Yes. The dude, he sells his bat past episodes for like a dollar. Yeah. And he'll make – he'll get 10, 15, 20 million downloads yeah. on past episodes that he's done. You know, it really is incredible. It's it's yeah. it's actually a really fascinating new new realm of entertainment, it these, is. these podcasts. And they can well, be so Well, entertainment and education. It's right. got this – edutainment vibe to it that right. at least that's one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by podcasts whether it's something like a serial podcast where I feel like not only am I being entertained by these crazy stories and right. like the most recent season was all about the court system in Cleveland uh, but also I feel like I'm learning new stuff about how our justice system works or doesn't work so anyway right. yeah, I, thought, I, I think there's an edutainment piece to it as well but I just thought, found that to be funny because Joe Rogan is a UFC announcer. He's always been. He's been this comedian. He hosted Fear Factor. But what's his main bread and butter now is podcasting. Amazing. And he'll invite anyone from some random fighter buddy, a comedian friend, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, or Elon Musk. Like he has. Anyway, it's a very wow. interesting show. That's amazing. All right. So my most least important thing is not Joe Rogan. Um, 
<laughs> I think I'm going to stay in my lane with video game stuff and say it is something that I criticized and kind of scoffed when it first released a few years ago. But now I've found myself to be a big fan of it, and that's the PlayStation VR headset. So I found myself – I actually tried it here, uh, right in this room for the first time. And right in this very room. Right in this very room. And I with tried, me. With Jake was here. Yep, yep. And so I – Why wasn't I invited? It's weird that he did, wasn't into it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. With, with that setting. With that <laughs> setup in this very room with, with me. With you. With you. How could yeah. you not? How yeah. could he not like it? So I thought the tech was kind of cool, but I didn't think it was done all that well. I thought the demos were fine, but nothing I wanted to spend a lot of time in. And, of course, it's now been out for, I want to say, two years, yep. I think. And so what they've done with PlayStation VR, I think, is they've learned how to create fully-fledged gaming experiences, very interactive and very immersive gaming experiences. And so um, there's there's three games that we got. I got it for over Christmas time, used some of my Christmas money for that. And we got – there's two games in particular that I want to highlight. One's called Moss and one's called Astrobot. And they, they are both – set up in a 3D platformer environment where you are some sort of being. So like in Astrobot, you're a large robot that's kind of observing and helping little Astrobot around. So as you move through the level, you kind of are able to look around wherever you want, but you're still controlling the little guy on your screen. So it doesn't feel... You don't get all dizzy and discombobulated for the most part because you're not in his first-person perspective running and jumping. Same thing with the Moss game when you're this cute little mouse. So... I think they're really well done, really charming. Uh, I'd go as far as a big Nintendo fan even to say that Astrobot is probably the best 3D platformer since Mario, maybe on par wow. with the Mario games. It's really, really good. Oh, that's interesting. I find it to be really fascinating tech, and I'm curious to see where it goes in the future. Um, so like, don't sleep on VR yet? Don't sleep on VR just yet. They've done some really cool things. It's one of those things where as developers and creators learn the technology more, they're able to create more high-quality and immersive experiences with it. You know, it makes me wonder, actually, just riffing on this conversation we've had, whether Netflix might do their own VR stories. Right. That See, that I could see them Mm -hmm. getting this interactive storytelling, having more of a – becoming truly more of a thing rather than a gimmick is in a VR setting where you're moving throughout as the character. Yep. In some thoughtful ways, I think there's some pretty interesting possibilities there. So I I dig it. And if you are a person who likes uh, first-person shooter games, I think what they've done with they've got this um, PlayStation Aim controller that's kind of in the shape of a – I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like a boomerang that's also connected along the top. It's hard to describe. It doesn't look like a gun. I think they did it purposefully. But it's in the shape of one, sort of, and the way you have the trigger set up on the thing. So as you have your PlayStation camera facing you, it syncs everything up. So your headset you can use to look around, and your gun, you're actually – it's a one-to-one movement on the screen from a first-person uh, shooter perspective. So you even pull it up right in front of your right in front of your face to aim down the sights and all kinds of stuff. It, it felt like a real huh. – like, I'm really in space shooting these aliens, and there's even an alien behind me, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm sitting on the, the ottoman in the middle of the room, so I have plenty of space, and I actually – I noticed an alien kind of run behind me, so I just swung my gun back behind me and shot it back here and then brought it back. I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful where you're swinging that stuff. Right. Yeah. With all your kids. I mean, you could be – Before you start, it out. gives you a shot of the room, and so you can see yourself. Oh. It says, like, are you all clear? You're ready to play? Yeah. yeah. This would actually yeah. make a really interesting podcast. I want to have you back just to talk about VR. Yeah, there's some cool stuff really there, but that's really my most least important thing. I've been nerding out about that recently. Yeah. No, that's cool. 
So for me, I'm going to I'm going to dig into this crossover of pop culture and politic culture. Uh-oh. And that did you guys see this this news <laughs> with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Which one? I've seen a lot of news. There's a lot of news about her. This is not I I do not know very much about her politics. I you know not dug into it, so this is an endorsement or a it's just about the fact that within the last week, they this video was found and put out by these peop- by people as sort of an attack against her, and it's a video of her from her college days do- dancing in a music video that she did with friends. And they're like, and this is a set, you know, this is somebody you want representing you. This look at her dance in this video from college. <laughs> she's you know, it's, she's a college student. It's, she's a college student. She's yeah. fully clothed. It's. You know, it's goofy brat pack type stuff, and it has turned into this fascinating, as it seems we have every week, Twitter firestorm, mm. Facebook firestorm, internet firestorm over whether or not you know this dancing video from college days has any There's effect on her. There like. really is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like you know, I've got a lot of weird things, weird dumb things that are totally innocent you know i did high school improv i did this dance i did that dance i you know did these goofy things i did ding dong ditch which of these things is going to come back to bite me in my political career like calendar where she wrote down i danced with this friend (laughs) i I danced with doofus see what i did there there? (laughs) yeah very nice she's back at her calendar look this is weird i know there's a youtube i I know there's a youtube video of it but i did not do that on my calendar on this day it was a different i only danced on tuesdays <laughs> and uh, I, I just think it's fascinating because the the reality is, as millennials and Gen Zers get older, we've been doing these things and recording them, capturing them, posting them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Vine, and so we have more and more of a catalog of the goofy things we've done. Right. And so I, I'm just – I think you know this has been mostly goofy. This hasn't truly affected her politically. Everybody's like. There's a few people trying to dunk on her with it, but everybody else is sort of whatever. But I think it's a fascinating look at the way she's just dancing to a song, mm-hmm. you know, but creating a piece of – she's using a piece of pop culture to create another piece of pop culture. And now that's trying to be drawn into the political arena. I think it's a fascinating mm-hmm. overlap that we're going to have to continue to say, what about this video where he said right. something when he was 15 years old that right. maybe he disagrees with now? How do we process that? As citizens. Right. So well, there you go. And you know that this podcast is going to kill any political chances you have. <laughs> uh, I gave that up a that long your, time your, ago. Your Twitter feed. Yeah. One, of, well, one or the other. Yeah, the Twitter one, feed. At this point, yeah, I've just given in to it. You're going to be like, this guy has a strange love for Doritos. <laughs> what about that cane? <laughs> How can he be impartial towards farmers when he has a love for big Doritos? I don't know. <laughs> big Doritos. <laughs> big Doritos. <laughs> Because eventually in the future, Doritos is going to continue being successful and be known as Big Doritos. Big Doritos, yeah. right? Because everybody's making Doritos. <laughs> it'll just be a it'll just be a noun. Um, well, that's <laughs> it for our show. Thanks so much for staying with us this whole time. Yeah. And uh, if you liked Bandersnatch, go play Detroit Become Human. That's the last thing I'll say. There you go. Is Highly that, Is that a Sony exclusive it or is. is that on any platform? PlayStation Four only. There you go. Content caveat. I'm sure. Not too bad, but oh, yeah. yeah, there's some. 
Content caveat with Paul AC, then he knows nothing. <laughs> nothing. I, I'm just assuming. There's probably bad stuff in it. <laughs> There's probably bad stuff. Tim played it, so it's got to be terrible. <laughs> if Tim likes it, it. Yeah, exactly. If he likes Witcher 3, surely there's going to be some problems. So, so Tim, <laughs> unlike my co-host, I will say thank you for joining us. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. And sorry for the low energy at the beginning. Now I've got half my coffee in me. I feel pretty good. <laughs> Let's start it over. Let's do it just again. do the whole thing. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.